0: Whether seaside piers or at inland support facilities, the Navy is working to ensure energy independence so it can keep going if the power goes out. It's also working to increase facility resilience to extreme weather and rising tides. For more, at the Sea Air Space Conference, I spoke with the Acting Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Navy for Energy, Installations, and Environment, James Balaki.
1: Really what we're looking at is what we're trying to, to achieve for energy security and resilience aboard those bases. And it's focused around the mission, whether it's launching launching ships or or, launching aircraft and recovering them for our mission. Um, It's about ensuring that that energy is available in plentiful supply, abundant quantities, regardless of the type that we're using.
0: All right. Because uh, we have heard some of the services have been experimenting with local grids and alternative sources of energy for those local grids. So they're not tied to, the say, the commercial grid that might be in the area. What's going on in the Navy?
1: The Navy is certainly um, taking a very aggressive look at what's called microgrids, the idea that if the grid goes down or for some reason you need to isolate from it, you can, in fact, throw the switch, as it were, um, and, and basically operate the installation as an island, separate. Uh, we've got a couple of really great examples. One I'd love to tell you about is Marine Corps Air Station Yuma. Uh, and We've, for several years, had a, a microgrid out there, and, and fascinatingly enough, whenever power gets um, above or below the voltage you expect it, so you plug in and expect to get 120, and all of a sudden it's 100 volts. Well, for sensitive equipment like F-35 simulators, that causes problems. And so our ability to island or bring ourselves off the commercial grid allows us to continue to operate those simulators without losing time because they shut down or trip because of the because of the challenges with um, power that's uh, not correctly conditioned
0: got it because the navy and the marine corps are all over the country not just on the coastal areas but looking at the coastal areas your strategy then involves independence because of resiliency to weather or just general security because Anything could happen to the grid.
1: So the, the idea of resilience um, is, is more expansive than just climate or weather. Um, and it takes into account things that climate causes, so fires, droughts. Um, we would even say that COVID has created a resilience issue, right, the pandemic. Uh, but, but beyond that, cyber threats represent a threat to resilience of our installations. Climate, as we mentioned, and certainly energy is, is a big one. So how do you tie in with the cybersecurity people in doing some of these
0: experiments, like you mentioned, in Yuma?
1: Right. So cyber is integrated into our design and construction practices, and then we also monitor our cyber networks separately from our information networks. In fact, the building control systems that operate a place like this represent as much or more threat uh, to the ability to operate it, as our information networks do, that you sit down at your keyboard every day. So we have to protect and defend that in exactly the same way. And given the temperatures in here today, I could say
0: they're trying to conserve fuel and, or energy in any way they can. Possibly. But we talked about the grid, which, of course, is the, the physical basis of that security and resiliency. What about the sources of what goes on to the wire, what's happening there?
1: So really, the the power plants, largely, we depend by and large on the the commercial sector, the private sector, to generate and transmit power. Um, Where we'll get into a smaller isolated situation, we'll put into place a cogeneration plant, for example, or solar or wind production with the ability with batteries then to time shift, right? Because sun doesn't shine at night. You've got to have the ability to draw power at night. Uh, so we're employing all of those techniques to be able to ensure that we're resilient and able to operate 24-7 as America depends on us whenever the call should come out. So your strategy then is not to be completely independent of all
0: commercial sources but just to have your own kind of backup resiliency because commercial failures happen in winter or whatever. Right, precisely,
1: precisely. Uh, you know, I would say um, we are an integral part of the communities uh, where True. we're uh, partners with with. Not only the power sources, but, you know, the roadway networks, the utilities generally, they become an important part of who we are and how we operate. And so we have to reach out beyond the gates when we look at resilience. We can't just look at the resilience of the gate. You know, if the first node outside the gate fails, that represents a failure to us as well.
0: What about overseas installations, say Guam, you know, where there's really major presence of the U.S. Navy. Are you looking at those areas for this type of work?
1: We are. Uh, Guam certainly is, represents, a, as, a, as a territory of the United States, represents a, a certain affinity, and, and we're, we're looking particularly at solar there, as one might imagine, uh, as, a, as an ability to provide some backup and, and time-shifted power, um, and certainly the resilience of all of the capabilities that we've got on Guam as, as a very far forward naval base, much like Hawaii, but even further forward, Uh, has to be protected and and maintain a resilience.
0: And then, you know, we're in Japan and in a lot of other places, other countries too.
1: Exactly. And then we begin to rely on host governments to be a partner as well.
0: And getting to the larger question of modernization, installation work, there's a big backlog. Uh, There's also the need, as you say, to modernize some of the installations. What are your plans for 22, 23? What are you looking at?
1: so our priorities generally are focused around a couple of things i think first and foremost i mean you've heard this in the news the shipyards uh, certainly need to be modernized our ability to generate power by maintaining those aircraft carriers and subs and get them in and out when the combatant commanders need them is critically important. Certainly our strategic weapons facilities, places...
0: just to get back to the ship building for a moment, there's a real capacity issue there too. Is besides so I don't deal
1: necessarily in the capacity, but we have to maintain you know, what the capacity we have and, and certainly an operational and, and, a, and, a, and a way that the velocity of, of ship movement through the maintenance cycles right. is not impeded by uh, the facilities infrastructure. So
0: if they increase the capacity, then you've got to bigger job because you've got more to worry about
1: Precisely. if someone else does
0: that. Precisely. Okay. And you were talking about the nuclear Just So the, the strategic
1: weapons facilities, and then uh, we'll be looking to our unaccompanied housing uh, as, a, as another priority as well. Yeah, housing's been an issue for, I guess, all the armed services, right. and, and uh, you've got to get around that one. And what about
0: commercial partners like shipbuilding yards? Does the resiliency and the ability to keep operating the Navy's priorities extend to them, or do you just say... And just make sure you can operate no matter what
1: so uh, yeah, while we would certainly have some concerns about that and will encourage them to do the right thing for their own business they run their business and, and frankly we're going to leave that to them
0: all right uh, anything else you want to tell well us? we're just
1: delighted that the, the Navy League has included the installations and energy community um, here in CR uh, Space this year uh, this is the first time that I'm aware of that the the E-I-N-E, that's the installations community, has been a party to this, and we're looking forward to the panel later this afternoon, uh, and frankly look forward to to learning and meeting a bunch of leaders that uh, are important to our Navy and Marine Corps, The, the integration of the the seafaring uh, forces, uh, as well as the Coast Guard, is, is critical to our nation's security, and, and we appreciate being included in that. Okay. Let me, let me um, make one more example sure. as well. Okay. So uh, another great example of resilience for, for sea level rise is the new piers that we're constructing. Um, for example, in Point Loma out in San Diego, uh, we've constructed a, a two-level pier that can adapt to uh, sea level rise over, really it's projected over the next 100 years to be able to adapt to whatever those sea levels might be. So it's a, it's a fascinating design adaptation to a challenging problem that Mother Nature's thrown at us. Just need longer anchor chains. Uh, presumably, yes. <laughs> Again, not my portfolio. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but you'll let them know. I, I will let them know, yeah. All right, a few good. more links.
0: James Balaki is Acting Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Navy for Energy Installations and Environment. We spoke at the Sea Air Space Conference hosted by the Navy League. We'll post this interview at slash federal drive. Catch the federal drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral.
3: actual actual uh, afloat commands, uh, the first one was when I was twenty seven years old uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career um, and Then after I retired after thirty five years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO where I spent my next fourteen years um, i'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life.